Anybody going to watch Super Bowl next week? Anybody going to watch the commercials? Like, I'm rooting for the commercials. Uh, if you need a place to go hang out and watch Super Bowl with a lot of people who want to scream and yell, we have a family who is opening their home to all of you. Uh, go in the back, let them know they'll get your name, and we'll get a hold of you with the address and directions to get there. Uh, the Harrises are great, as long as you want to go and scream and yell and be rowdy. Yeah. That's right. You're all invited. You're all invited. Bring your own food. Uh, welcome to Element. I got heckled last service when I was talking about that. It was like, and I'm like, that's why I'm up here. I'm the professional. You just... My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome if you're new. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you download an app, and it's called Version. In Version, you click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes and the verses and all that go along with that. Tonight, if you are a member of Element or someone who calls Element home, you are invited. You don't have to, but you're invited to come to our church meeting. If you want to know about budget and finances and charts and graphs, all that kind of stuff, it's going to be a great time for you. Me, I get glassy-eyed, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And then they come to me, and when I'm trying to do something crazy, you can't do that. Why? Well, here's our chart, glassy-eyed. You know, and It's okay, though. If you want to come and check it out, you're all welcome. Uh, the staff will be here, the board will be here, uh, the elders will be here. So any questions you have, you can come and bring and ask tonight. And the last thing I have before we start is, if you gave to Element last year in a way that we could track, not like I have some change in my pocket and I threw in the offering box, you should know that I gave you that. But if you actually gave in a way that we can track, you should by this point have gotten your giving statements in the mail. If you have not received your giving statement, you need to go send an email to giving at ourelement.org or let the guys know in the back and they'll take down your name. We'll get it to our bookkeeper and we will make sure that you get your giving statement because it's not the government's money, it's your money and we want you to keep as much of it as possible possible go us all right all right why don't you stand with me reading god's word this is romans twelve nineteen. it says beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord let's pray Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who understand that we are to trust you and to leave the things in your hands that you have called us to, which is, quite honestly, everything. So have us be a people who honor you by living in obedient trust. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so last week I promised you a shorter message, and I didn't live up to that. Apparently I still went the normal length. Today I'm going to promise you a longer message, and I will live up to that, Okay. <laughs> It's, it's always hard for me to talk shorter, never longer. Just ask my wife. We're just like that. But last week we talked about reconciliation. That seemed to hit a chord with a lot of you. A lot of you came and talked to me afterwards. And I mentioned last week how that and this week are going to go hand in hand. Maybe not how you think, but in my mind they go together. And this is the idea of what do you do when someone has hurt you or someone you love so bad that there's almost no coming back from that. Or in the case of today, somebody has hurt your family pride. What do you do with that? Genesis is very practical. A lot of people have said this over the last few weeks that, wow, this is becoming very practical. That's because it is. Now, reconciliation, I'm going to briefly recover what we talked about last week. And these are six principles about reconciliation. Number one, reconciliation doesn't always work. Though we should always be trying it, it doesn't always work. Secondly, reconciliation requires humility. Third, reconciliation, when it works, it is completely worth it. 
Four, reconciliation requires grace from everyone involved. Number five, reconciliation often requires restitution. And number six, reconciliation is the ultimate demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I told you how reconciliation takes two people to work and that forgiveness that only requires one. And last week I gave you, we started Romans 12, 18. Today we started Romans 12, 19. Those things go hand in hand as well. And this is how they work together. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So I want you to understand a few things about forgiveness before we get into today's text. Because when we are hurt, whether it's perceived or real, we go to a place of wanting other people to hurt just like us. When I was growing up, my dad had this dog. His name was Bart. And Bart was a half basset hound, half black lab. I don't know which was the guy, which was the girl, and how that happened. Didn't ask. Don't care. But it was a big, long basset hound with lab ears. Cute dog, great personality. Now, my, my dad, the dog's like six or eight years old. My dad's out at the beach, you know, playing frisbee with the dog. They're, you know, with legs about this long. But they're playing frisbee at the beach, you know. And, and all of a sudden, this dune buggy comes over the top of the hill. It wasn't the dune buggy's fault, and it ran over Bart. And not, oh, it's really sad, but, you know, basset hounds have long spines, okay, because they're long dogs. And it just bro- broke its back right in the middle of it. You are a lot more vocal than the other services. That's amazing. Okay, so all these people gather around the dog, and, and the dog's just trying to bite everybody because it's in pain. My dad runs over to try and help the dog, and the dog's trying to bite my dad because it's in pain. And that is what happens. You just want the pain to stop. When we are hurt, we want the pain to stop, and we tend to lash out at everybody around us. And so when I start talking about this idea of forgiveness, a lot of people go to this place of, well, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what these people are like. And so I'm going to give you some truths about forgiveness before we start. Number one, forgiving is not condoning. You may have heard me say these things before. Good. Write it down and keep it. Forgiving is not condoning. You are not condoning someone's actions or abuse by forgiving them. Forgiving them is setting someone free in the depths of your own heart to resolve for you that you will live free of bitterness and anger. That is different from condoning what somebody did. Secondly, forgiving is not forgetting. If someone does something to you 20 times in a row, it doesn't mean you necessarily forget that. Some people are toxic. You have to understand that. And you need to keep danger away from you and your family by setting strong boundaries. What you do in forgiveness is you set people free from your anger against them, but you can still remember not to be in a room together with them. Forgiveness is the state where your own heart resides in. It doesn't mean you continue to get abused. It doesn't mean you get gossiped about or lied to. You forgive, you become well. Number three, forgiving doesn't always mean or lead to reconciliation. It doesn't mean you will be friends again. It doesn't mean you start another business together. It doesn't mean everything goes back to the way it was before. Again, it takes two people to reconcile. It only takes one person to forgive, just you. And and don't get confused. Some people get suckered into this, oh, you forgave me. We're supposed to reconcile and let me be back into your life. Sometimes you say we will reconcile, but here are the boundaries. You don't make it back into my life, but I will extend the love of God to you. Uh, forgiving uh, is a different issue than justice. It's a different issue than justice. You have to understand that. And it, it should lead to justice, but they go in a different way than that. It's, it's even okay at times to call the police on people you have forgiven. Someone breaks into your house. Forgiveness is not, oh, you want my TV and my stereo too. All right? Forgiveness is, as the cops haul them off to the hooskow, you say, I'm going to let you go from the bitterness in my heart and stop harboring things against you. You know, that's, it, it doesn't mean that you get abused and beat up all the time. You, you sometimes call the police, and that is justice. Uh, forgiving is personal. 
Forgiving is personal. Sometimes a lot of people come to a newer church and they will say, you know, this church did that to me or this church did this to me. I'm angry at that church. Well, you're not angry at a church. You're angry at people in that church. Somebody did something. Forgiveness is always personal. Maybe you worked for a business and you left that and you're like, oh, I hate that business. I hate. And you just, it's not that business. It's somebody in that business that did something to you. And you must understand that forgiveness is always personal. Personal. It is personal. And lastly, forgiveness is a process. It's a process. I mean, maybe by the end of today, you know, you'll walk out the door and you have just decided not to run your car over somebody and murder somebody, right? That's progress, all right? It's progress. Forgiveness is a process. Uh, you know, you're not going to come in here and an hour later be all fixed. If you have lived your life in bitterness for years and years and years, by the end of the service, you're, you're not going to be all better, but you can begin the process. Because sometimes what happens is you have to realize what forgiveness is doing to you, that you become a certain type of person because of your unforgiveness. And now you have to unlearn certain behavior. And if you do not learn true forgiveness, what happens is you will eventually move to a place of revenge. Revenge. And here are two truths about revenge. The first one is this. Revenge always escalates. Revenge always escalates. In the book of Judges, you meet a guy named Samson. I know in the coloring books, he's got long, flowy hair like the old Michael Bolton. And it's like, oh, he's such a great guy. I love that Samson. Okay. Well, Samson wasn't always the greatest guy. And you get the story with Samson. It starts with his wife. It moves over to some foxes, burns down the livelihood of an entire village. And it ends with the death of thousands of people. And Samson says, I have a right. I merely did to them what they did to me. I won't stop till I get my revenge on you. Samson, in this escalation of revenge, kills thousands of people. And maybe you're not like, oh, I don't like the bloodshed and mayhem of the Old Testament. Well, let's go really artsy. How about Romeo and Juliet? All right? Romeo and Juliet, you've got two families, the Montagues and the Capulets, and it's a rivalry, and it ends with the death of two young lovers. Now, what detailed explanation does Shakespeare give of why this all started? What does he say? He says, sometime long ago, someone said an airy word to another. That's all it was. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe somebody wasn't where they were supposed to be. Maybe they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Maybe somebody said just something in passing. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger. No reconciliation, no forgiveness, no hope. And all of a sudden, in the end, ends up with the death of these two young lovers. The second thing is that revenge is always tempting. It is always, it is much more fun in our own minds to plot how to bury someone than it is how to offer forgiveness and reconciliation with someone. Now, having said all of that, I need you to understand that I have just as much to learn as you do in this. Because when we look at Genesis 34 today, if you want to open there, you can. Chapter, or, uh, page 19, if you have an element Bible, you're welcome. Uh, the standard way people translate the story today is a story of rape. And if it's true, if that's rape, I instantly go to a place of retaliation. And you see what Dinah's brothers do, and I think, oh, good for them. I'm glad they did that. I have huge forgiveness issues with anybody who would hurt a kid or somebody who would rape a woman. But I don't know if that's what's happening in Genesis 34. In Genesis 34, you get a new dynamic of Jacob's family. Uh, Jacob, at this point, he has 11 sons and one daughter. Again, the daughter's name is Dinah. One more son will be born to him in the coming chapters. Last chapter, you see Jacob has reconciled with his brother who wanted to kill him, and his whole family today lives in a place called Shechem. And it seems very innocent, but the last time Jacob prayed to God, he said, I'm going to go live in Bethel. And Bethel is the place where his grandfather worshipped God, and instead Jacob's living in Shechem, and it leads to great problems because he put his family in harm's way. Dinah's name means justice, and it's kind of poetic with what happens today. Genesis 34, starting verse 1. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah. Now, I've got to stop you right there, because if you're new, it's like, okay, that just makes total sense. Okay, Leah. Does Jacob love Leah? 
No. If you're new, Jacob doesn't love Leah. He married Leah through a trick. He was tricked into marrying her. So Dinah is born from a hated wife. I think that's Moses' clue to you and I that Jacob probably isn't the greatest dad in the world. Uh, girls who have dads who don't love them usually try and find affection and act out in certain ways where they try and get all the attention from the wrong boys. This is why dads, you love your daughters well. I don't care if you've gone through some crazy, nasty divorces, all kinds of issues and pain, you treat your daughters well. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. She's a teenage girl. Seems like rebellion's hardwired into <laughs> a teenage girl. She goes out to see the women of the land. Now, this terms, the women, see the women of the land, this is the idea throughout the rest of the book of Genesis that she's looking for trouble. We don't know what it is. You know, maybe she goes out and she's, you know, clubbing and partying and dancing, barely covering the baby-making parts. You know, she's like, woo, do, You know, whatever it is, you know, booty call. That, that's my dance. Okay, whatever. I'm a, I'm a white boy. I can't dance, okay? Looking for trouble. What, whatever it is, she goes out into harm's way. And she goes out in the midst of people and she exposes herself to this. And i got to be clear, because if this actually ends in rape, no matter what she was doing, none of that justifies what happens to her. But, girls, you got to hear me on this. you got to be careful where you go and who you associate with because too many women are naive about men. I, my wife sometimes will go jogging and it'll be like dark and she'll go out jogging. Sometimes I have to go and I hate jogging, but I'll go because it's dark outside. I'm like, take your mace. She'll go out jogging. And I'm like, don't go. It's dark outside. You don't understand. Guys are perverts and weirdos and you can't trust any of us except for me. She never listens to me. Girls, you've got to be careful. She says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. Now, some translations will say saw her, took her, and violated her. Other translations will say he raped her. Now, a lot of different commentators think different things. Most of them come back to this idea that it was rape. Uh, now, th- this word seized her, it can actually mean seized her, but it can also mean took by the hand. It can also mean married her like they ran off to Vegas or, or something like that. After all the stuff I've read and, and oh, a lot on this, I think what happens is Dinah likes a guy. She thought he was cute and things went too far. Maybe somebody videotaped it and posted it to the Internet. Now everybody in the world sees it. You know, that's, that's kind of what happens. See, it's kind of like the idea you've got Jacob's family. You know, they're struggling, but they're trying to live for the one true God. It's kind of like today. You have Christians and Christians stumble and fall all the time. And the first thing that the news media does or anybody on it's, it's like, oh, Christians are crazy. It's like they always want to show the people carrying snakes going, ooh, look at me, got a snake. And I'm just like, holy crap, that guy's a freak, right? <laughs> they never show normal Christians trying to live the life. Well, I think this is Jacob and his family. They're trying to live the life they're supposed to live. And all of a sudden, this goes out there and their whole family becomes humiliated. You know, because once it's online, you can never pull it back. It's always out there. So she's out with her friends. The wrong guy comes along, but he's really cute. He gets her alone. Things go too far. Sounds a lot like today. Her dad doesn't guard her, protect her, teach her to watch out for boys who are evil. Boys are evil. But again, this guy isn't a believer. And sometimes I think Christian guys are even worse. Because a lot of times Christian guys are like, oh, God will think it's okay. We'll be married in God's eyes. Yeah, let's just get naked. Dad should protect their families from evil. And Jacob's not that dad for Dinah. He doesn't watch out for her. He doesn't warn her. He doesn't give her affection. I mean, to most fathers, this is a nightmare that this can happen to their daughter. And I know some teenage girls like, I hate my dad. He makes me call. He doesn't let me party. i got to go home early. You know what? Praise God. Your dad loves you. Your dad loves you. Your dad knows boys. And you'll think, well, my dad doesn't know my boyfriend. He's so nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, Your dad knows your boyfriend, all right? Because we're all the same. And we grew up and we know what boys are like. He 
He knows. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> so, so why do I think this may not necessarily be rape? Well, Moses uses this word here. It's this word called anah. Anah for humble. Everybody say anah. Anah. There you go. See, you learned a Hebrew word. Good, good for you. Now, in Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 through 29, it, it talks about certain sexual crimes. In verses 23 and 24, it talks about how there's a virgin going out, and a man humbles her, and, and she doesn't cry out. And it's this idea that they're going out, and they're committing adultery. Something's going on there. And then Israel, this whole thing where you go, and you would stone them. New covenant today, we don't stone people today just letting you know all right in, in verses 28 and 29 another a man goes and he humbles a a virgin and when he does it here what he has to do is he has to pay about a, a dowry or a bride price for this woman and again i doubt this is rape because god is not the kind of god who would want to make a woman marry her rapist or that a rapist would follow god or a rapist would want to marry the person that he raped but in between those two verses there is a law that pertains to rape in verses 25 to 27 of Deuteronomy 22. And after this guy rapes a woman, only the man will die. <laughs> He's excited. It's okay. Um, but this is what it says. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in the open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. In the one instance regarding these sexual crimes where rape is unquestionably being addressed, the word anah is not used. Now, there are places where anah does mean rape, 2 Samuel 13, Lamentations 5, but Deuteronomy indicates that anah doesn't always mean rape. And so the best rendering of this word is like the ESV does, and it means humiliated or humbled. It is the shaming of a woman through certain sexual intercourse. Now, psychological and sociological studies have shown that rape is about hostility, it's about hatred, it is about power. It's not about love and devotion. So what I want you to see is Shechem's response to all this when you get to verse 3. After he you know, stole her virginity, because I think he did steal it, but this is what he says, verse 3. He says, his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So he takes a virginity, and now he feels bad. I mean, again, this is still all kinds of jacked up, because when guys say, I love you to a girl, girls get all confused. They think everything's going to be great because he said he loves me. This guy doesn't really know true love, because if he knew true love, he would have protected her from disgrace, which he didn't. Now, Shechem has some serious family problems just like Dinah. But again, so many women today live in relationships, even ones that are abusive, because they believe what a guy says and not what he actually does. Girls overlook abusers and addicts and evil when they hear the word love. It says, so Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, get me this girl for my wife. So now he wants to marry her. And sometimes people think, well, let's just get him married. That'll solve all of it. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you've got to get out of the relationship because it's a bad relationship. And this is not the kind of guy that's worthy of trust. And if you don't see Jesus in a guy, you've got to dump him. You don't listen to the words. You look at the actions. What is he actually doing? And from this point forward in this chapter of Genesis, Dinah is no longer described as Leah's daughter. She's described as Jacob's daughter because the scriptures lay this at the feet of Jacob. Verse 5, now Jacob heard that he, that Shechem, had defiled his daughter Dinah. The tension escalates. What's Jacob actually going to do? What would you do as a parent? You know, your daughter's living with some demon. What are you going to do with that guy? This guy, he, he's a king's son. He's got protection. He's got an army. What, what are you going to do? It says, but his sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Okay, so Jacob's holding his peace. So what's Jacob going to do once they get in and he stops holding his peace? What's he going to do with all this? You know what he does? Nothing. 
Nothing. And it's frustrating because he doesn't get outraged. He doesn't make a plan. He doesn't look for help. I mean, the last chapter, all the reconciliation takes place because Jacob led his family to the place of humbleness and reconciliation. Here, all kinds of crazy stuff is going to happen. An entire city is going to be destroyed because Jacob fails to lead his family in the right way. And why is Jacob like this? Well, Jacob has always been like this. And I think the point is that you need to see that even though sometimes you can do something really great like the last chapter, you've got to be careful because the next day you can stumble and fall and end up like Jacob, back where you used to be. But God has got a grace and lifts us up and wants to carry us forward to who we are supposed to be. See, leadership exists for many things. But one of the reasons also leadership exists is for crisis. That's why you, you have leaders. They make a plan. They get together. It's, it's why at Element we have three elders and not three stooges. Okay? Because we need to make a plan. Last Monday we all get together, had breakfast, we're all on the same page, moving in the same direction. And so what happens next for Jacob is what I would call a sin of omission. Sometimes I believe we can sin by doing nothing, which is what Jacob does when we should be doing something. Jacob doesn't make a plan. Verse 6, And Hamor the father of Shechem went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard it. So here comes the 11 redneck farmer brothers. It's like deliverance too, about to happen right here. And the men were indignant and very angry. This is literally filled with Fury. They get angry, righteous indignation, which is not a bad thing. Anger can be a positive thing if it drives you to do the right thing. God gets angry and it's a positive thing. And if she was raped, you have, you have grief for the act, but fury for justice. But they are going to have fury for their family's pride and not for justice. They're indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Now, Moses right there actually inserts his own comment in the book of Genesis, trying to tell you everything is not relative. He says this is evil and wrong no matter what society says. Now, Jesus says, you know, don't don't judge hypocritically, but you can judge. So how about it? I'm going to give you some right or wrong to see if you're able to judge correctly. Rape, right or wrong? Everybody should just said wrong. (laughs) You're like, what? Rape, right or wrong? Wrong. Wrong. Child molestation, right or wrong? wrong? Gossip, right or wrong? Jumping somebody for their lunch money, right or wrong? wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. Uh, we, we have a lift that we borrowed from, from uh, a guy that goes to Element in the back. Twice in the last three weeks, someone have opened it up and stolen the batteries out of it. Stealing from a church, right or wrong? Wrong. wrong. And if it's you, stop it. <laughs> I don't know who it is, but somebody needs to knock it off. Stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, right or wrong? Wrong. Robin Hood, sinner. Somebody works hard, makes a little bit more money than somebody else. You're going to tax them more, right or wrong? Don't answer. Just throwing it out there for you, just so we're all on the same page. In our culture, the violation of a teenage girl isn't seen as a disgraceful thing. We actually encourage them to be disgraceful. They read Cosmo Girl or Teen People, and what they tell girls, this is how you get a boy, this is how you keep a boy, this is what you do for this boy. Oh, you know, can you be hot and sexy? Oh, we can say that's wrong. We can say that. We protect our girls from things like that. I mean, there's a lot of dads today who can't look at their daughter and say, hey, this is wrong because they're hooked on pornography. And they're looking at girls the same age as their daughter, and they're like, they don't have a leg to stand on. This is why we must be the people that God calls us to. And fathers, you must be respectful men. Verse 8. But Hamer spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. You know, I know they did it all wrong, but let's just get him married. That, that will solve it. I mean, some of you girls in a relationship, you think, I'll just get married. That will solve it. Sometimes it doesn't make it any better. 
You know, this dad's like, well, let's just get him married. He says, make marriages with us, give us your daughter, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. We'll put all of our single people together, we'll draw numbers, we'll just get them all married, it'll be great. But what has just happened to Jacob's daughter? She was humbled. Something happened there, we don't really know what it is, but somehow she was humbled in that. And take our daughters for yourselves? What are their daughters like? It's like the girls from the Jersey Shore. It's like, you give us your nice Christian girls, and we'll give you Snooky. That's, that's not something you really want in your family. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. It's a family merger. They treat these women like property. And what drives me nuts today is when people talk about the scriptures like on the TV or on the news, oh, you know, the scriptures are oppressive about women. The scriptures are not oppressive about women. The, the Bible holds women in very high regard. It's the pagan men throughout history that have traded them for sex like cards. But the Bible says women are treated with dignity, honor, respect. So Shechem also said to her father and to her brother, so now the, the kid speaks, uh, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give you whatever you say. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Give me a figure, I'll write a check. Now, if you're a dad or a brother, does that make it any better? Not at all. Because what is the one thing Hamer and his son Shechem have not done to this point? Apologized. I think I might have actually solved some. You know, I'm really sorry this happened. You know, let's, let's talk about it. But they do, do any of that. They do not recognize their sin. And because Jacob doesn't do anything or say anything, he's just quiet, standing back. The kids step into the dad's role. Verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem, his father, and Hamer deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. The setup is that circumcision is to show that you belong to God. So what they're saying is, our sister's a Christian, and we're Christians. We can't let our sister marry a non-Christian, so you need to be converted. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Now, how in love slash lust is Shechem? He says, oh, Hey, a rapist doesn't do that. A rapist doesn't say, oh, really? Okay, I'll circumcise myself. They don't do that at all. Verse 18, their words pleased Hamer and Hamer's son Shechem, and the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. I mean, these guys are adult men. They seem very, very committed uh, to this. Now, he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamer and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised, as they are circumcised. And why do I think this isn't a real conversion? They say, Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Let us only... Let us agree, only let us agree with them, and then they will dwell with us. We can rip them off and take their stuff in Jesus' name. And this is, this is the whole thing. All the guys in town, well, I'll take the hot Christian girls. That, that'll be great. I mean, this is a lot of guys who are rude and terrible. When a Christian girl walks up, hey, you want to go out? I can't. You're non-Christian. What does that mean? You've got to go to church with me. Okay, I'll go to church with you. Can we get naked after? I mean, that's, that's what happens is so many guys are like, I'll, I'll play the game to get what I want. That's why you've got to watch what they do and not just what they say. These guys are trying to pull a ruse to get all of Jacob's stuff. Verse 24, and all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamernus and Shechem, and every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of a city, all of them. It's an amazing thing, okay? I, 
I don't know how this would go over today, but all of them did this. Verse 25, on the third day when they were sore. That is a huge understatement in the Bible, all right? Chop off your foreskin as an adult man three days later. Oh, yeah, you're sore. No, this is pain. The Hebrew word for sore is pain. They're in a lot. You girls can't understand, okay? As a guy, I'm just. Well, I'm just saying. All right, you have a baby. Whatever. I get it. Okay. I'm going to lose my place. Okay. When they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, and Moses tells you these are her biological brothers from Leah, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. Okay? So it's three days later. You're like, I need to get a soda from the fridge. Oh, I'm just going to sit back down. Okay? Because they can't wait. And all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock. I open the door. Is this my hot chick coming? This will be awesome. Boom. No, just two 20-year-old guys with swords and uh, and they kill you. These are like, you know, crazy young buck. Tw- I've never met like a 20-year-old guy who's just all hopped up on their own testosterone. They're like, you looking at me? No. You want to be looking at me? No. These are the guys, and they walk to the city and just take everybody out. They killed Hamer and his son Shechem with a sword, took Dinah out of Shechem's house, and went away. Where was she? Shechem's house. Shechem's house. Which, again, is the reason I don't think she was raped, because even after nobody could move, she still stayed in his house. And the brothers came, and they took her out. Verse 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. And Jacob's sons go overboard because revenge escalates. All their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. They must spend days looting the city. Shechem goes, he humbles one woman. The Israelites come and they take all of the women in the town. And when Jacob finally speaks, when Jacob finally says something, it's all too late. It's all too late. Like sometimes things get in your life, you just kind of pass them and it gets bigger and bigger. And it's like, oh, I've got to say something. When you finally do, it's just too late. Verse 31, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and, and the Perizzites. And this is like, people are going to be mad at me. But here's the problem. Jacob shouldn't have been there anyway. He's blaming all of this on his sons. And his sons did sin, and it's, and it's really big and, and really huge. But Jacob put his family in harm's way. So many times this is like us. We get in a bad situation that we put ourselves into, and we go, God, Why? And, and I think if I could translate God's thoughts, I think God would say, you're the idiot who put yourself in this situation. Maybe he wouldn't say it like that, but I would. Okay. He says, my numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But Moses gives the last word to the brothers. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? And this, again, is understood to be something that implies that she wasn't raped. One scholar says it like this. By saying Dinah has become like a harlot or prostitute, the sons of Jacob show they do not regard Dinah as having been raped. Instead, they are pointing to the fact that she has become a marginal figure by engaging in sexual activity outside of her society. Now, why so often do we want to take a story like this and make it about rape? If you make it about rape, you can point to somebody in the story as the good guy. You say, oh, well, look at that. Well, she was raped, so it was justified that they did all this. They say, yeah, that, that was okay. But if it's not rape, what happens? Everybody in the story looks bad. 
everybody. You see, everyone loses perspective. And even though, I mean, quite honestly, even though she wasn't raped, I am still prone to side with the brothers. I mean, I don't think murder is right. <laughs> Trust, I understand. You know, but, but if I had to choose Jacob's side or the brother's side, one of the two, I would probably choose the brother's side. And if I had a daughter and some dude's having sex with her, you wouldn't find the body. I'm just telling you up front. I mean, many times, young men sin because it's something virtuous has gotten broken within them. You know, Shechem loved her, but he didn't honor her dignity, which he should have done. The brothers love their sister. They know she's been violated. They want justice. They want to defend her honor. All of those are good things, but that strength led them into sin because they didn't know how to use it correctly. And this is just like our culture today. We don't know what to do with men. So today, you essentially get three types of men in our culture. You get silent, passive cowards who avoid conflict at all costs, and that's just like Jacob. You get guys who grow up to look at women as sexual objects, and they don't know the difference between love and lust. That's just like Shechem. You get those who have a sense of courage and justice and righteous indignation, but they don't have the training, and they run off and they get violent, just like the brothers. It seems like our world today is full of cowards, perverts, and thugs. And Jacob needed to be the kind of father that didn't go and beat the nobility out of his kids, but directed it, take the good part of that desire. And he says, you know, you boys are angry. That's good. But in your anger, don't sin. I got a plan. We'll protect our women. Be careful you don't become violent, bloodthirsty men. And because he doesn't, because there is no forgiveness, because there's nothing in here, this escalates to a place of revenge and an entire city is destroyed. I mean, what do you and I do with this story in light of this forgiveness and revenge and oh, in light of what's going on today? What do you and I do with anger that sits down deep inside of us that we just don't know what to do with and we want somebody else to pay? I'll give you three steps in what you do. Number one is this. You surrender your own anger and right for revenge. We surrender our anger and right for revenge, meaning we seek justice. Now, sometimes that can mean you go out and you press charges. That can also mean you see the brokenness in another person and try and understand better what's going on in them because like i told you last week it seems like so often we know we're messed up but we think everybody else should have it together and so when they mess up and they hurt us like why would they do that because they're messed up just like us i have a friend that works at a church down south and a few years ago he told me the story about there's a dad his son was riding his bike out around the neighborhood and a drunk driver ran a stop sign and ran into his kid and they took the kid and the drunk driver to the hospital and after a few hours the the kid died and the drunk driver's across the lobby, and he's, and he's sitting there, and he's finally sobered up. And at this point, what happens is a dad walks over to this drunk driver. Now, the whole family, they're just like, you know, uh, he's going to kill him. And so, but the dad walks over, gets on his knees, and he looks at this guy, and he says, you know what? If you do not surrender your life to Jesus Christ, this is going to destroy you. He still pressed charges. The guy still went to jail. But he wanted the guy to understand that because what he did was he surrendered his own anger and right for revenge and he put it in God's hands. It doesn't mean that he inside he wasn't in turmoil. It doesn't mean that there wasn't questions like God, why, why, you know, and, and all this. But he surrendered it to God. Step two, you must trust God. You must trust God. Again, this is different than legal issues. Legal issues many times don't go away just because you forgive someone. Forgiveness is the personal releasing of people so you can be free as Jesus intends for you to be free. In 1 Peter 2.23, uh, Peter talks about Jesus on the cross. And he says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father. In the face of massive injustice and wrong, he entrusts himself to God. The God who is capable of justice. See, Jesus isn't just entrusting himself, but those who have also wronged him, he entrusts into God's hands, which leads to step number three. You turn the person who has wronged you over to God. 
You set them free so you are free. Do you think if you're a child of God that the God of this universe wouldn't notice when somebody hurts one of his kids? Do you think he wouldn't see that? Of course he sees that. But what revenge says is this person belongs to me. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to get my revenge. It's just like Samson. When Samson says, this time I have a right, we must turn people over to God. And that's sometimes a much more scary prospect than you wanting to get your own revenge on somebody. Again, Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know the word pray essentially means to wish God's best on somebody? You pray orienting your heart so good comes somebody else's way. And sometimes that good can be jail. Sometimes it can be therapy. But it can also be God's healing for their craziness. It is even stopping the passive-aggressive thing in our own hearts. Well, you know, I won't hurt them, but I wouldn't be sad if somebody else did. It's, it's all of that, too. Jesus keeps pushing this. Who do you trust yourself to? If you trust yourself to God, you entrust yourself all to God. Do you trust you and someone else to God's justice? Because that is the only way we will get past ourselves. It is the only way we will truly live. And these are very hard words because we live in a society that says, you know, don't forgive people. You need to make sure you get your own revenge. Extract it from them. But forgiveness is bigger than ourselves. And like I said last week, where reconciliation is the ultimate demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, forgiveness is also a demonstration of the gospel. You know why? Because all of us have sinned against God. And we have all said, oh, I'm never going to do it again. God, I'm really sorry. And yet we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. And our God offers us forgiveness and grace, and we trust ourselves into his hands. I mean, one of the reasons why we make it a point to come to communion every week, some people are like, why do you guys do communion every week? Because communion is a place where you remember God's forgiveness and God's grace and God's reconciliation and God's hope. Like you take that cracker like Christ's body was broken for you and for the person you're angry at. You don't have to break their body. You don't have to whip them and scourge them and stab them with a sword. The the grape juice of the wine represents his blood that was shed for you and I. His blood that was shed for you. His blood. You don't have to shed somebody else's blood. You entrust them into God's hands. This is forgiveness that our God has bought for you and I. We must understand in forgiveness that we must learn to be a humble people because we sin just like everybody else does and yet our God has forgiven us and our God loves us. And in Ephesians 5, 1, it says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Well, how do we imitate God? We offer forgiveness and grace and hope and truly trust people into his hands. That's what we do. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. Uh, There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, for and maybe you're harboring something in your heart and you're thinking, I, I can't get past this. There's no way I'm going to forgive somebody. There's no, well, you know what? Again, maybe it's a process. Okay? And today's the first step of that process to get you there. And they would love to pray with you and help you begin that process to actually get there. There's offering boxes on the side and wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. And there's some food and stuff in the back, and we're always trying to get you guys to connect to each other because hopefully you are in relationship with other people Eventually, hopefully, you will be in a gospel community, and maybe you're in a place sometimes where you're really angry, and you just want to take your car and run somebody over, and your gospel community come alongside you and say, you know what? That's not the best plan. You know, let's, let's think of something else. Unless your gospel community is like, oh, yeah, run them over. That'd be great. Well, then we need to get you a new gospel community. <laughs> right? we'll, we'll talk to them. We'll, we'll figure this out. 
But that's kind of the point. We're in communion with each other because we help each other to learn to live the life that God called us to. And part of that life is a life of forgiveness and grace and trusting who God is and entrusting people into his hands. And I know it is not easy. And I know it's not just going to happen the day you guys walk out of these doors today. And it is a process. And we need to daily learn to trust ourselves into his hands because no one knows how to take care of it better than God. And so you let him take care of it or you will never be free. And God intends for you to be free because only free people can truly worship God as he truly is. So we need to be free. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach and train us how to be a people who live in your amazing grace. That we understand forgiveness and we understand hope and we understand life and we understand the humbleness that comes from realizing that we have been forgiven. And in times in our lives when we want to look at someone and say they belong to me, they have not done enough to earn my forgiveness, that we would realize that we cannot do anything to earn your forgiveness. And yet you graciously bestow it upon us. And that you would help us to begin to understand the difference between forgiveness and justice. And how true forgiveness can lead to true justice. And that it wouldn't just be forced outward actions that live this way, but it would be an attitude of our hearts where our hearts become those things that are tender towards you. And here are the things that you call us to. So we would live lives where you are lifted up, where you are honored, and our hearts and our lives truly become imitators of our great God who has sought and saved us today. Teach us to be those who can truly say it is well with our souls because we understand the gracious forgiveness you have bestowed upon us. Have us daily in this process understand more and more what it means to truly live and walk as you call us to. Honoring you with the great grace that you have already bestowed upon us loving you back and then loving the people around us as your creation that you've called us to. We ask this in your son's gracious name. Amen.